In this episode of the Smart Community Podcast, Zoe chats with Mark Thomas, the Managing Director of ServiceWorks Group, an international smart city consultancy. Zoe and Mark discuss how council amalgamations sparked Mark's interest in the smart city space and led to a stint in local politics, as well as how he sees New Zealand currently embracing the smart community concepts. Mark shares numerous great examples of how smart community thinking can be used to solve wicked problems and engage and empower citizens at the same time. Zoe and Mark also discuss smart stadiums, what we can learn from Singapore's approach to integration, and the emerging trends of digital twins, AI, and blockchain being used in cities. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Hello, Mark. How are you today? Zoe, hi. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I am also great. Let's jump straight in. And can you tell us about your background and what you're passionate about? Sure. Look, I guess I have three sort of dimensions, if you want to call it that, to my background. The commercial world I've worked in for 20 plus years. The community sort of activism that kind of started really, I suppose, when I lived at home. My um, grandfather was like the local mayor of the kind of area we lived. And so we were kind of always involved. And then the other dimension is politics. So I was an elected member of our local council in Auckland, New Zealand for a couple of terms. So those, those three things, I suppose, are a big part of, of what I am. And, and I suppose they come together in my passion, which is kind of improving the lives of the people who live in the communities that I work, live in, and play in. Uh, and I suppose that's why those three things interest me, because I think that if you want to help people in communities, sometimes, it's not for everyone, sometimes politics is a way to do that and in politics certainly can use more commercial organization and thinking at times. Mm. So okay you've got these three kind of backgrounds that come together and that really ignites your passion in helping people have I got that right? That's it exactly. That's awesome what sparked your interest in this smart community space? I think it was uh, getting involved with my local council, so getting elected. I'd never been involved in local politics. And um, we had this big amalgamation in Auckland in 2010 where the government forced the then eight councils to come together, sort of similar to what's been happening in New South Wales, as dramatic and traumatic as, uh, as these things are. And uh, a few of us who supported the idea of the merger were just concerned because it was pretty unpopular on the ground as these things are was being imposed. And sure, all of the reports have been done and there was a lot of rationale, but people were concerned that they were going to lose what they liked, even though a lot of what they liked didn't work that well. And what we could see, a few of us who supported this, was that all the people going on the protests were the existing councillors and that probably a lot of them were going to get re-elected <laughs> on the back of the protest. And so it might be useful for a few of us who thought this was a good idea and maybe had some different experiences to come in and try and help make it work. And and so that started my involvement. And, you know, quite quickly, what I ended up in was this very bureaucratic organization that in some senses was sort of stuck in the dark ages from a technology point of view. Um, and this is, I mean, this is almost 10 years ago when the sort of smart city idea was just starting to get going. So I could sort of see immediately that there was an opportunity to kind of help make quicker progress on some of our city problems 
by using technologies in a, in a smarter way. What is a smart community to you? It's people who have their lives improved by better use of technology. I think it's as simple as that. And I think that, that community of people can be actually just a handful of people who kind of maybe meet together and decide to kind of organize themselves in a way. Or it could be, um, you know, Jakarta, city of 25 million people. So I think there's a lot of different definitions, as you'll know. I try to keep it simple. It's about improving the lives of people in, in urban settings, although it actually doesn't have to be urban settings using technology in smarter ways. I think that's at the heart of it. Mm. Why is this concept, this smart city or smart community concept so important? I think it's because it's part of the context of the so-called digital fourth age we're in. I read a book over Christmas by Byron Reese, Robots and AI and the Fourth Age. And he sort of, he talks about the previous three ages and he's got interesting terminologies for them. He sort of says the first one was the language and fire Age. The second was agriculture in cities. The, the third was writing in wheels. And we're in the fourth age now, uh, robots and AI. And this is like the whole of human history. We've only had four of these ages. And this age probably started, you know, like when computers began, say maybe 1950 or something. And I mean, these ages go for maybe 100 years, right? But we are in this, this seminal period in human history now. And I just think the, the interest and the importance of it is because so much is changing and so much is happening and we can use so much of these changes to make quicker and better progress on these big urban challenges that we have. How do you think New Zealand is currently embracing the concept? Far too slowly. (laughs) And indeed, one of the reasons why I'm sort of relocating from Singapore, where I've been based two years, to being based in in, uh, Auckland is to kind of help move that along. And, you know, there's good people doing good things in cities. The three, well, the two major cities are Wellington and Christchurch are certainly making good progress. Surprisingly, Auckland, our you know, biggest city, um, instead of the population. I think, look, it's had lots of challenges as a consequence of that merger I talked about. But I think in New Zealand, we don't kind of have a setup where there's a champion for this. The government we've, uh, we've got um, has created an urban ministry, which is great. But they're really focusing on you know, building houses and fixing homeless, which is really understandable. But there isn't yet an impetus or a drive to have technology as more part of the solution. And that's what I want to try and help. Yeah, I think like picking up on you know, trying to solve some of these wicked problems, if we can use smart community thinking, we can actually solve some of those things, right? I think that's exactly right. And to talk about smart community thinking is the way to think about it. It's not, it's not getting the Cisco's or the IBM's or the Siemens of the world in with the $100 million tech solutions. Now, that for big cities may well be part of a long-term project, but actually I'm much more interested in what I talk about most, you know, is the tools that exist now to help communities own more of, of their own information, kind of have access to their data and play a greater role in solving the problems. Mm. Do you want to dive a bit deeper on that? Talk about some of those tools and things for the community? Sure. Um, I mean, I, look, I'm just aware of a range of different things that exist around the world. In Virginia, for example, on the coast, they had a, a problem with um, storm surges and trying to track that. And someone came up with the idea of kind of giving a couple of thousand people who live near the, the coast sensors and actually have a crowdsourcing kind of activity where they could kind of, over a period of storms, measure the impact of that. So they got that, and they're all GPS tagged, of course. So they got the community involved, these are the people who are the homeowners who are most directly affected by the, the storm patterns and kind of most want their local authority to do a better job warning them and protecting. 
So they got them involved with their sensors and they created, you know, 23,000 um, pieces of data that kind of helped create an app that, look, it's like a weather app, but much more useful. It creates a tool that people living there can now get a real sense of, you know, what the forecast is and what's likely to happen. And that using people in that way helped. I mean, it's, you, you can't just put an app out there and expect people to use it, right? There's got to be more tie-in. So these people helped create it. And so they have a much greater stake in it, much greater interest in it. And also they're the ones driving improvements to it too. So that's, a, that's an example I really like. I mean, there's, there's more straightforward ones in Vancouver. They've got Van Connect. A number of cities have this, which just allows citizens to kind of walk down the street, take a photo of something, rubbish that hasn't been picked up, a pothole that needs fixing, flick that through to the council. They can tag it and ask to get a follow-up if they want, uh, or they can just not worry about it. And that's a more straightforward basic one. But these kinds of tools are available now. So, you know, citizens are going to want to engage in cities to more or lesser extents. And what I think is exciting, as I can see as I travel around, there's a bunch of these things that are developing that, that we need to get more cities doing more of. Mm. What are some of the projects and things that you're currently working on? Um, look, the biggest one we've got is a new transport platform in China, southern China, for those people who kind of know the idea of Uber Eats. It's got I mean, different names in different countries, but you order online from a restaurant and someone delivers it to you. We've developed an Uber Eats for uh, transport. Um, another name for it is Mobility as a Service. That's sort of, I suppose, the more technical name. And this is the idea that you know, you're in Sydney, you're in Brisbane, you're in Auckland. You want to get across one side of the city to the other. You go on our platform and you see what all the options are, but it's not just a planning tool. It allows you to actually book those different options. So if you want to grab get on a Lime scooter, for example, to take you to um, the bus station. And then the bus station takes you to the train station. The train station takes you to the ferry. And the ferry actually drops you off near a rental car company. And then you complete your journey. You can see all of those elements in one place and you can book them in one place and pay for them once. So that's something really exciting that we're doing in these two southern China cities and something we want to bring to both Sydney and to Auckland over the course of this year. Mm. Can you tell us about your current trip around the world briefly we're discussing it but you're kind of traveling around the world talking about this is that <laughs> that, that that sounds a bit grand <laughs> i just happened to have a couple of things that kind of came up at the same time i've been in mumbai on the west coast of india the so-called new york of india as they call it actually really speaking at a, at a smart cities congress there and receiving somewhat embarrassingly a, a bit of a acknowledgement for some of the work that we've been doing which was which was really surprising and pleasing but that was an opportunity to get people from 33 different countries who may or may not be working in India talking about, okay, in a developing country, you've really got some quite different challenges to those of the ones that we have in the likes of Sydney and Auckland or Brisbane. So what I was talking about there was exactly the citizen engagement activity that I was mentioning to you and just saying, look, you know, no city government has the money to spend fixing all the transport problems. And I often use the example of Jakarta where we're doing a bit of work in Indonesia. You know, they just opened their first ever underground this is you know, a city of 18 million people, their first ever 10 or 11 stationed underground. And of course, they're planning to spend you know, billions and billions of dollars more. And, and what we want to do with things like that platform I was talking about, and in India, and others have their own versions of these things, is say, well, look, maybe there's less of a need to spend those billions now when you can kind of use the existing infrastructure you've got better. And so a big part of the conversation in Mumbai was about that. And then this week, I'm in Singapore talking about smart stadiums. I mean, this is kind of interesting. I, we don't work in the stadium space, but in Auckland in particular, we've been bedeviled with this issue of kind of how to build 
stadiums. I think most cities go through this, <laughs> this problem. And there's some terrific technology, of course, emerging in, in the smart stadium space. And I guess what I'm talking about is an extension of the things we know about, how to engage people in the solution, making sure that if you're building stadiums, you've got to have people plugged in to a much greater extent. And it's interesting, I'm aware of Perth's new stadium too, which opened, I think, last year, didn't it? So they've got some insights which are kind of useful. So yeah, those are the two things I'm doing at the moment. I'll be back in Auckland at the end of the week. <laughs> oh, yes, it's a, a Grand Asia tour, right? That's right. Grand, absolutely Grand Asia. With smart stadiums, because I haven't talked about smart stadiums a lot, but can you talk about some of those key kind of areas? Because I assume it's like a lot of people going at once, a lot of different people in the same area. How do you get messages across to people and how do you continue to make it safe just in regular circumstances and then an emergency situation? Is there any kind of key areas? Yeah. Look, interestingly, most of the conversations with stadiums are all around the internal stuff. So it's around the utilities management, the operations, platforms, heating, lighting, ventilation, you know, the big cost for stadiums. So a lot of the things that have been worked on are that. But what's emerging, of course, is alternative reality. So AR being linked to your phones, you can kind of replay a scene in the moment, ordering from your seat, an app which tells you what the queues are like. So you can kind of actually go from your seat to the area where the queue is least, which wouldn't that be a terrific innovation for those of us who go to stadiums? So there's quite a lot of focus on the internal stuff, using things we're, we're aware of that maybe we use in movie theaters. But actually what I want to talk about is, to some extent, the point you raised, more the external factors and linking those better into the city. Because you know the major issue, the major grief is, I mean, I'm not going to say that the service is ever tremendous in stadiums, but it's getting there, right? It's the transport issues. And it's often the lack of integration between city transport. Sure, they, they do a transport plan, but there's no digital linking. And that's what I'm talking about, the, the need for, with you know, the quite advanced transport platforms that cities often have in their central control rooms now. So it's really providing geolocation information through apps that kind of give people, as they're walking to the stadium, a sense of where the traffic is. And so you know, rather than being told where to go, they can kind of look on a map and say, okay, well, there's what looks like hundreds and hundreds of people coming from the north, perhaps we'll approach from the south, right? So let people, let, let the community solve it themselves. Hmm. No, that's really interesting. And it really leads on to this next question, which is about integration. So how do you think we can better integrate across you know, different disciplines, governments and industries? <laughs> well, having been in Singapore for two years, <laughs> I'm quite a fan of the Singapore model. Now, look, Singapore is unique. I mean, all countries are unique, but Singapore, for reasons I think most people know, particularly unique. It's so small, it's highly developed, and its political structure is unusual. But what they did six years ago when they established the Smart Nation office and gave a senior cabinet minister the responsibility was to some extent up the ante and say, if we're going to make progress, because this is a country of six million people, it's 20, only 25% population-wise bigger than New Zealand, but it's three times the size in terms of economies, right? And so it's, you know, it's a complex country, despite being small. And they said, we've got to have leadership centrally to drive this thing. Now, the Smart Nation office is not hundreds and hundreds of people, but that's kind of where the brains trust is. That's where the thinking is. And they then partner very closely with the agencies that are responsible for delivering. So the obvious ones, transport, utilities, but also business services in Singapore and health. I think you've got to have, to get that integration, you've got to have a heart and a home. That's what New Zealand's lacking at the moment. And I think it's one of the reasons why they're not making progress. My observation from the times in Australia is, is even though, of course, you've got a, an urban cities minister, 
you've got too many councils. <laughs> you've got just, you know, lots and lots of councils, which is really a challenge for kind of getting quicker progress. And of course, the states really control most of the funding from the city point of view. So I think it's got to start with a home. There's got to be some leadership, some commitment to this. And then in my sense, it's almost like anything. If you've got a strong sort of leadership centre, integration, it's not a panacea, but in my experience in Singapore is the proof, I think, it can make those integration issues more, more easy because we're never going to get all the reforms we want. We're never going to you know, get the perfect number of um, city governments in a state, for example. You know, who even knows what that is? So rather than sort of focusing maybe exhaustively on the structural changes, I think let's think about the organizational changes we can do at the center and lead the change from there. Mm. Where do you think that home sits? Look, it probably needs to sit within central government. But then with the states having such a role in city infrastructure, I think each of the states have to have that too. So, you know, there's, there's, um, and because of the structure in Australia, of course, you've, you've got that sort of bicameral issue and you've got the cities as well, right? But the, the cities are really the, the, often the smallest entity, aren't they? And the funding pie, certainly. So, I mean, look, states could do this by themselves in Australia, for sure. I mean, I don't think they need to wait. I don't know that all states have got urban ministers. I don't think they have. And, and look, I'm not pretending that the, urban, the federal urban minister is kind of sort of leading huge changes, but at least you've got that. And you've got the city deal structure, which is, you know, potential. So I think in Australia, the answer is, given you've got one centrally, you've got to have an all-states smart nation minister. And that's what we definitely need here. Now, I'm, I'm not saying a minister is the answer to the problem, but at least that then gets a bureaucracy that kind of has more smarter capability that can help inform these projects and to have, can have the right kind of technology, I think, more highly prioritised. Hmm. What are the emerging trends that people aren't talking about enough? Well, I, went to, I was lucky enough to go to Barcelona in October for the, yeah, the Barcelona Expo, which honestly, anyone who's in this space should, once in their life, go to that event. It is just out of this world. You know, 140 countries, um, 25,000 people, and it's been going for, what, seven, eight years. So there's really such a body of work. I mean, digital twins are being talked about a bit, but I think this is, this is a, a way of organizing a city that more people need to get a handle on. So it's creating an alternative city it's representing the physical environment in digital form. And what that means from a planning point of view is trying to avoid making mistakes. I don't know about you guys, but we seem to have in New Zealand problems with cycle lanes all the time. You know, the planners do all their work with the cycle lane, they build the cycle lane and it's a disaster, it doesn't work properly. So we've got digital tools now where we can kind of create that cycle lane digitally and actually have kind of real people going through it. I saw in um, Singapore, they've got a new little lab here where they do this sort of thing. So that's one thing people need to talk about. I mean, AI, I'm not sure that enough cities are using AI. In Helsinki, they've got AI running their bike sharing scheme. In Moscow, their call center, which gets 20 million calls a day, is triaged by, um, sorry, 20 million a month by AI. And this IA apparently adjusts to the emotion. And the AI Moscow call center person gets a higher customer satisfaction rating than the real person, which is interesting. And the last thing is blockchain. I mean, I think blockchain has, and I'm not a tech guy, right? Um, so I'm someone who's very skeptical when tech guys come and tell me this is the best new thing. But I've spent a good part of last year looking at what blockchain is doing around the world. I think this has the potential to sort of change the world. And I know people get a bit sort of confused about what it is. I just think of it as a rugby team or a sports team, a netball team, who basically have control of their game. 
So they don't need a referee. They don't need a TMO. They set the rules. They agree the rules. You know, players come in by agreement. The whole system operates by virtue of these guys having rules that they can agree and change. And where there's a trust relationship and where there are transactions, and you think about cities, there are lots of transactions and lots of trust relationships. Blockchain can have a role in terms of making things work more efficiently, but also kind of building this sharing inclusive idea, which, you know, we've had the internet for 20 years. And, and surprisingly, as much as we send traffic through it, we don't use it as a sharing enabling tool enough. And I'm really excited that I see blockchain emerging as something that could, that could help with that role. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that. I was going to pick up on your first point. I think the digital twin, as much as I I find the term a little bit wanky, but I, I think it's such a game changer in this space. If we can build twice, so build once in the digital world and see what the impacts are. And I think we're also not really talking about the, how do we, when we're putting in this digital infrastructure, how do we make sure that just like physical infrastructure, the social, environmental and you know, safety impacts are all taken care of. Whereas when we do that in a digital twin sense, we can kind of look at all those things and even play out those scenarios of environment, of the, all these type of things that can happen and then avoid these errors that don't need to be there. That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone can look at v- virtual Singapore is the name for it in Singapore. And I mean, this alternative reality that's been created is based off real things, right? So it's based off you know, real temperatures and wind speeds, real congestion levels, even citizen direct inputs. So it's based off real world stuff. <laughs> and as you say, it's a way for us to kind of just do a much better job of understanding what we're intending to, to build or to plan. But then also actually living with it for a while before we actually go into the execution phase. Right, so we can kind of have something. The cycle that I talked about, you have, have it up and running for a couple of weeks. Um, in the virtual world, so you can challenge it and test it, and you know have lorries and trucks and sort of airplanes fly over and and sort of understand a lot more about it than we have ever been able to do in the real world. Yeah, no, excellent. Thanks, thanks again for sharing that because I think the digital twin part, we're I think we're talking about it, but are we really? doing anything with it because I think people are still thinking it's this you know just sim city for you know Brisbane or Auckland or whatever but it's so much more than that and there's so much potential in asset management which is a passion of mine and how we can more efficiently and effectively build construct and then maintain our assets is just huge and I guess from a community sense people probably don't care about that at all However, the amount of money that you can save that then you can spend on the community is just astronomical. Absolutely right. I mean, and that's, of course, why these sorts of things are so much part of the thinking in the smart stadium world, right? So actually constructing stadiums virtually before you build them for exactly that reason, because, you know, phenomenal investment um, in the infrastructure of a stadium but it doesn't just have to be stadiums, as you're saying. There's so much of these, I mean, these legacy assets we struggle with in cities that kind of cost us so much to maintain and so much to improve that I, I think you're right. We could get a much better handle on both the prioritization and the solutions by, by a more digital approach. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast, Mark. It's been absolutely great to uh, have a conversation with you. 
you're very welcome. It's been, it's good to be able to kind of have a chat like this, right? Yeah, because we've crossed paths like many times, always at conferences. Oh, hey, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, we never have quite managed to meet up. So I'm glad that we've uh, made this time to, to have a chat and yeah, we'll have other more chats in the future for sure. Look, we will. Yeah. No, definitely. I just have one last question, which is how can people connect with you? Sure. So LinkedIn and Twitter, probably the online platforms I use the most. So I think I'm quite easy to find on LinkedIn. There are lots of Mark Thomases in the world, that's for sure. But Mark Thomas Smart Cities uh, will get you on LinkedIn. And at MarkThomasNZ is my Twitter handle. So those are the social ones. Um, ServiceWorks is the name of our operating company. So mark at serviceworks.co.nz is the email. And uh, I don't know if you need them. Yeah, that's probably enough, isn't it? Yeah, that's enough. We'll put um, the links in the show notes so people can click away and find you. Terrific. Because I think the the good thing about LinkedIn is, I mean, that kind of gives people the opportunity, if people do a reasonable job with their profiles, to really have have a look at, you know, what, what you're offering, right? Totally. And, and people can, I mean, I, I do a bit of writing um, and I've written a bit about smart cities. Um, so people can kind of have a look at the things I've said and, uh, you know, get a sense about whether they think there might be more to head from a conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. I've, I've found LinkedIn now that I've set up my profile and like kind of used it in this smart city kind of, you know, building that conversation, then they're the people that I see as well. You know, the algorithm's working for me. It's so good to see you can kind of start your conversation with somebody on LinkedIn and then take it into the real world. Exactly. That's right. That's what I find too. Cool. Well, thanks again for coming onto the podcast. And yeah, I look forward to our next conversation. (laughs) Thanks, Zoe. Take care. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community or find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter at smartcompod. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears, so thank you in advance. As always, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. 